0: This is the Hacker Valley Studio podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley Studio with your hosts, Ron
1: and Chris. Welcome back to the show glad to be back again along in this beautiful suite at rsa sitting alongside with doug helton chief strategy officer at king and union welcome
2: yeah thanks for being on the show thanks for having us thanks for coming and doing in our space too no absolutely It's, it's great to have you guys here and yeah. it's a, so I've been in the W quite a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but usually downstairs, maybe pop up for a party. Right. I've never spent this much time on uh, what is this the the second floor? Is it Trace? No, Trace is downstairs, but the second floor area. Yeah. Like it's a <coughs> really good space for
1: for this. Oh yeah, without being cool. on top of the conference. Yep. But still right. close.
0: Really yep. good space. I'm gonna have to remember this.
1: Yeah. Same. <coughs> we might do our event here one day. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Yeah.
0: So we've known each other for about a year now, right?
1: A Has year. A year? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, <coughs> man, time
2: flies. It does. I think I was still with True Star <coughs> when we talked the first time, right? Yeah, we yep. met professionally. Yeah, uh, but then as it goes in our space, we start to play six degrees of seven bacon, and we know yep. all of the same people. Right. We do. Uh, very similar background. Like y- you came from the Marine Corps. My background's Air Force Intel, so yep. NSA and counter counterintelligence, counterespionage. Yep. So it's a small world.
0: Yeah. If, yeah. You know, that's a good segue into. Tell us a little bit about your background and yeah. how you got to where you are today.
2: Yeah, so um, Intel Practitioner by Trade is the way that I always position it. Been doing it for 20 years. mean, every time you vocalize it, you feel older. <laughs> like okay, that's that's a long time, <laughs> right? <laughs> but started off as a Persian Farsi linguist, believe yeah. it or not. Working for the NSA and the Air Force. Missed seeing the light of day it was probably one of the biggest things. So it led Huge. to a career change into the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, where I did a little bit of everything, like fraud investigations, criminal investigations, like stolen Rolex from base lodging. Like, mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a felony, right, based on dollar value. <laughs> Didn't really enjoy that. One of the actually primary reasons since I went to Air Force OSI was for the counterintelligence mission. Uh, so that's where I specialized in running counterespionage operations kind of around the world, which led to some cyber activities. So time frame, let's position it like 2009, 2010 time frame. The counterespionage world is starting to learn that there's a word called cyber and they don't know what it is yet, but they're like, we need to do cyber things because this thing called cyber command is going to exist and <laughs> right. we're going to have to support them. Yep. And what does it look like? So I spent uh, a number of years trying to figure out what exactly that meant in our arena and kind of define things. There were some painful lessons along the way. So I sat down when we, we planned these investigations and operations, it was someone with my background doing counterintelligence sitting next to someone who's like a computer crimes investigator, right? That's right. all they do, like for, trained in forensics, investigations, uh, chain custody for all things digital. Uh, and we'd throw out these ideas, like these concepts for operations we want to run, and they would just like shake their heads. They're like, "That's total like movies." Like you were. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the guys actually slid a book across the table. It was like, "You need to start here," and it was like things like TCP, IP, yep. like. <laughs> uh, so to start start the very basic security plus network yep. plus. Yep. So uh, I had some great mentors along the way that kind of taught me what the cybers really was. Yeah. Um, and so when I transitioned from, I guess into. 2013, left the Air Force, left active duty, ended up at Hewlett-Packard, along with uh, Mike Anderson, where we kind of co-led and co-built out intelligence. He took kind of the tactical piece, supporting the SOC. I Mm -hmm. built out the strategic intel function, and then built out a threat hunting team as well. It really kind of learned a lot in that. Like as, As you guys have talked about in the past, like what you know about intelligence, the intelligence community, and how how the cycle actually works and manifests, like you can take that and just throw it out the window when you you enter the private sector because it's lost on everyone, right? right? I remember a conversation early on at Hewlett Packard where we sat down with the team, they were called BSOs, which some yep. companies use that term, like yep. a business information mm-hmm. security officer. Right. I would call them like an LNO, right? Like they're yes, the CISOs, LNO to a line of business.
0: Yep, exactly.
2: And we sat down. And we're like, "What are your requirements? What do you care about?" And it was like blank stares, like completely lost. We weren't mm-hmm. using the right words, not the right language, yep. like completely way off. So that's where learning really began. Like yep. what I actually thought I knew about Intel had a place, and that place was on the government side. And I had to relearn uh, and take what I knew and, and find a new path forward. Yeah. So we were at Hewlett packard for a couple of years. I was at Flashpoint to build out their advisory services team. I worked in critical infrastructure, which was also kind of a unique learning experience. The The utility world is very government-like, probably more so than I'm comfortable with. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was like, eh, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of things uh, <laughs> from a bureaucracy and red tape perspective. And then when we met, I was at TrueStars, their mm-hmm. chief Intel architect, yep. and, and TrueStars doing great things, I'll say this even being at King & Union now, like there's a lot of positive change happening on the product front in the Intel space right now. Mm-hmm. When I look back at it, we're, when was the Mandiant report? It was like February of 2013? 2013, yeah. So we're, what, seven years, roughly? From so, that, oh my gosh, only seven years—that's crazy. Yeah, which I mean, in the scheme of things, is just like a blink, right? It is like, right, yeah. So when we think of like the cyber threat intel, cyber threat intelligence as a profession, as like as a community, it's really, really pretty young. young, yeah. Yep. And a lot of what we, where we're coming from, and I think there's some uh, good positive change happening that is addressing this. The threat intel analyst as like a persona as a role because yep. a lot of the tools are uh, very much targeted towards SOC like intelligence support to SOCs which is yep. necessary it like is. i don't want to take away from that mm. like ever they need it it's a needed role but there's a lot more of it's still untouched and green pasture where intel right. can really influence not just security but kind of risk and business at large
0: yep so one thing that you brought up and i, I thought it was great uh because i haven't even thought of it this way but you said there was a difference between sharing and collaboration.
2: Right. Do you want to kind of elaborate that? Yeah, so, and this really was a, a recognition I had. So, uh, well, let's, let's back up. So, at Hugh Packard, Hewlett Packard, we were a member of the IT SAC, And that was kind of my first exposure to formal sharing communities, right? Like, we had the the one-offs, peer-to-peers that we had established very kind of informally based on relationships, which is good. But we pers- participated in IT SAC. They were still kind of figuring out their way because some of the big members at that time were all in the security product space as well. So like, what do you share? Like if I share something, are you going to productize it? Right. Uh, right. So everybody's just kind of learning like, what is sharing? What can I share? What am I legally allowed to share? Is another challenge that's still out there. I think where sharing exists today is it's in a much healthier state uh, in terms of ISACs or ISALs or even kind of the informal things. Uh, But it's got a long way to go. Sharing has a necessary spot, like we're all going to be better off. I don't think anyone can say that this is not true if we're sharing the types of threats that we're seeing day in and day out right because now we can pick up our trends, yep. uh, correlate things across across verticals as well as within a vertical, particularly if it's highly targeted but there's a limit to its its value that I've seen just from a behavioral standpoint right so when I look at these communities, whether I'm at Truestar or where, I, where I'm at now in King and Union it's still kind of the, the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. So you have really mature organizations uh, who over the past couple of years have been very active in sharing for the betterment of the community, which is good, that's what we want. But the bulk of the members of these organizations are kind of passive consumers. Part of it is they don't have the maturity to kind of produce their own intel, which is like a whole other struggle. We could talk for hours, I think, on like, what it means to actually produce intel and how it's more valuable than anything a commercial provider or ISAC could give you. But they struggle in kind of surfacing up their own intel, much less operationalizing or making use of what's shared with them. So I, I, th- I think it, from a sharing perspective, it's kind of plateaued. Where I'm beginning to see a lot more movement, particularly those that in the haves category, haves not necessarily being those with the money for tools or people, I view it more from a capabilities perspective. Right. Because there's some organizations out there who, would raise your eyebrows. Like extremely mature, extremely capable from a security and threat intel perspective. Excuse me, and those that you would uh, kind of expect to be so based on their logo are like years behind, right? Right. So I I don't think you can go off logo alone on, on who's mature, who's got capabilities. But those who are more capable, I see more movement happening on the collaboration space. What that looks like is, we we saw it in retail, we're seeing it in IT, I know it's happening in the financial side as well, whether it's informal, where a couple companies are getting together to do it, or formal, such as a working group in ISAC, things like collaborative threat actor tracking, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not just, if I take CrowdStrike's name for a threat actor, whatever spider, right? Mm -hmm. On On the criminal side or Eyes, they're not just kind of regurgitating what the Intel providers have. I mean, some of these companies have their own naming schema for the right. actors and the campaigns that they're saying. Right. And so what we're seeing is a <coughs> deliberate effort to do that jointly, right? Like, w- no one's gonna win this fight in the long term alone. Like, it's just not gonna happen. So I think collaboration's kind of the, the, the next area for growth when we look at how we interact with each other and improve improve our postures as a community, the whole collective defense notion. Sharing's phase one, I think collaboration's gonna be phase two. I think phase three, I I think it's happening at a very lesser extent right now, but as people talk about doing things like sharing risk assessments, like on the vendor side, right? Right. So if I'm a mature company and my policy says that I need to do a vendor risk assessment on my supply chain based on this criteria, and I go this deep, other companies don't have that capability. They don't have like a robust GRC. Maybe maybe they're replying, re- relying on like an external vendor to do it. But I see that as potentially kind of the next domain of sharing collaboration, where we're not just talking even about indicators or a threat actor, but we're actually sharing like risk-based information. Yeah.
1: So you, you mentioned uh, kind of the transition from where analysts used to be about seven years ago when we saw like a shift in the need of more threat intel analysts to today. From your perspective, do you think that the data or the tools have enabled the analysts more? Probably the data more so. I I mean, fundamentally,
2: you look at the types of information that organizations collect and store from a data perspective, we're we're talking like exponential increases, right? Right. Um, Bringing it from endpoint, from network devices, bringing it from uh, you name it; everything has telemetry these days, right? So they're, we're looking to aggregate and correlate that. So the data has allowed, I think, a deeper level of analysis, correlation. That's one piece. I think the tools are struggling to keep up. And what I mean by that, if I'm a, a SOC analyst, there's a core tool set that exists today, right? Like, you've got your SIMs, you've got SOAR tools, you have EDR tools, even phishing. Like, there's numerous phishing vendors where I can log in and I can investigate and triage my phishing email, right? A lot of positive work being able to kind of automate out the correlation and the enrichment from both internal as well as external data sources, which is where kind of TrueStar plays, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And solve that problem for like tier one, tier two SOC analysts. If you look at the tools that traditional Intel analysts use and kind of where they should be operating from my personal opinion, ROI perspective, uh, the tools don't exist. So things like that I've been trained on my background, well, well, let's say this. So coming out of the Intel community, I had a tool for each task, right? If I needed to write a report, I had a dedicated system to write my reports, it was tied to intel collection requirements, it was very structured, very regimented. I had an entire toolbox of different things that I could have access to to do my job. Right. On the commercial side, obviously some of the requirements behind that don't exist or, the, or, the, or they manifest themselves differently, so the tools should obviously do so as well. Link analysis, which is one thing King & Union does well. There's a couple tools out in the marketplace that do that, but that's one analytical tool. If you take a look at, for example, the number of uh, different ways to do, what are they calling them? The structured analytical techniques, right? Mm -hmm. ACH, link analysis. I I mean, there's probably a list of like 15 common ones used in the Intel community. I think they have a role, I think you'll probably see them being leveraged more as Intel teams mature and start addressing kind of business risk rather than just being kind of the the consolidator and feed of indicators to a SOC. But those tools don't exist in like a a single place today. And that's where Key & Union kind of has its eye on the ball. We've got the link analysis in place, but if I'm doing link analysis and not sharing my analysis with anyone else, I'm not helping anyone else either, right? right. right? So that's, that's the, the next kind of challenge that has right. to be tackled. And that's a cultural one. I'll say I've been guilty of it in the past too. Like there's this natural tendency as an Intel person to want to hold on to everything. Yep. Um, when we talk about lack of tools, going back to your question, I definitely could use things like ServiceNow to support my Intel workflow, right? right. The tool could do it. Is it pretty? <coughs> no. But culturally, I think there's something, and I, this isn't just me, I've talked to many other people, like, Intel analysts just don't want to use, like, a ticketing system to support their <laughs> workflow. Like, it just doesn't feel right. Like, way too much structure. Like, I need messy. I need gray. I need a scratch pad, right? <laughs> right. Like <laughs> I'm an artist. Let me work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I think it's a matter of piecing together not only the tools, like, the workbench that they need, but enabling that collaboration piece that supports the rest of the cycle, right? So if I'm doing my analysis in a workspace, like you guys may need to see it. Or as I'm looking at like Ronald right now, Ronald may may only need to see half of it. Mm -hmm. So making sure that within that workspace we've got the right permissioning and tools available so that I can still control the information the balancing act that I would put out there that I think a lot of people should strive for is like the overall mission should be to share and collaborate as widely as possible and reasonable. Yeah. There are things that will pull that back some: privacy, governance, r- regulatory needs, etc. As well, as sensitivity around things like you know insider investigations. It's kind of a no-brainer in, in terms of segmentation, etc. But I think when we, particularly when we look at building tools, the overall mission should be share as broadly as possible. Allow really kind of a dialogue to happen around that analysis too right
0: Uh, so i'd love to go a little deeper into collaboration because i can sense that you're super passionate about it you know we're talking about getting people from just sharing to collaboration and i'm sure you have several stories of when collaboration has been really impactful for you personally and professionally. I'd love to hear a story about when collaboration has been really, really pivotal to you and
2: your career. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll I'll use a Hewlett Packard example. So at Hewlett Packard, large organization, large security organization, I'll say this, bottom line up front, you don't know what you don't know, right, so when you're working like a major uh, incident response I may think I have all the pieces of the puzzle, right, from an Intel perspective. Like, I I can reach out to CrowdStrike. I can reach out to, like, my peers. And I can hoard that information. I've got, like, spreadsheets, because this is, like, 2014, 2015. Like, everybody's got their spreadsheet of my indicators. I've got ones highlighted. I've got got a comment column, right, where it's like, oh, this one's (laughs) not good. Uh, That's all well and good, but it's not actually helping my hunt team, it's not helping my incident responders. At the same time, they're doing, they have the exact same thing, right? So they're going out and doing like, so at the time they were using Mandiant's, what was it called, TAP, their old agent? What was the old, Man- oh, MIR, MIR yep. agent, uh-huh. right? Um, like we had that deployed everywhere, they'd go out and like pull these images back. Yep. They got all kinds of forensic artifacts that could be leveraged from an Intel perspective, but they don't know like what pieces I have. And so it actually took probably over the course of a couple months realizing that uh, there were multiple teams at play, like a hunt team, an intel team, uh, the SOC doing incident response and working like the containment aspects of it, remediation aspects of it. And we all had different pieces of the puzzle, and none of us were communicating those pieces in a kind of a clear, clear and consistent fashion. And it slowed us down a lot. So when I, th- I see things like, what are some of the big stops? metrics, like mean time to detect, mean time to respond, like how long did it take for us to achieve containment? And I'm looking at the kind of the tools we had as well as the process or even just the understanding we had about what collaboration was at the time. If I knew now or then what I know now, like I think we could have cut some of those times in half just based off of communication and
1: understanding. Right. You'll hear a lot of analysts say, like, I don't know why so-and-so didn't get this data or why they didn't give me this data. And it's like, that's a valid question. You should go ask. Because the quicker that you just ask that question, the sooner that you might have the opportunity to, to cut that time in half. Yeah. Also, one, one thing we were talking about before we got started was the tooling aspect and also the collaborative aspects between engineers and analysts. Right. Uh, let's talk about that a bit. Yeah, so um, that's an- another kind of soapbox I have. That's, <laughs> that's, part of, that's, that's part
2: of the reason I'm back in the vendor space, <laughs> right? Because I'm looking at the tools that I had available. And I'm like, none of these actually support like my workflow as I envision it. And it's one of those things, you can complain about it, or you can do something about it. I was like, all right, I'm going to do something about it. Which is why I went back to TrueStar, who's doing great things on like the Intel management front. But it's also why I'm at King & Union to build the analyst workbench. Like, right. I, I can say, like we don't have the tools we need to do our job, which is all well and good. I'm just kind of contributing to the noise at that point. But now I'm in a position to really drive product strategy and be the voice of Intel analysts. You'll see organizations talk about being the voice of the customer. To me, I'm trying to speak for all my brothers and sisters trying to do like Intel as a profession, right? Right. Um, I'm able to do it, I chose to do it from within the vendor space and and try to champion the fight. We'll talk a little bit more about what that kind of struggle is in a second, but There's other opportunities, and I I always want to make sure that people are aware of, right? So there's there's product advisory boards. There's customer advisory boards. Vendors will do things like invite people on to be design partners, right? Like we'll give you a license. Just use the tool and give us feedback. That's probably the most valuable thing that anyone can do, right? Like contribute into how the tools develop. Because if we don't participate in opportunities like that, like we, we don't really, I think we lose some of our credibility in complaining about like how the tools aren't don't actually suffice or or do it so take advantage of those opportunities but back to your point so my dad is a uh, mechanical engineer graduated from Texas A&M as I'm growing up through school like very engineer like right so when I started I think it was in eighth grade like algebra he pulls out like his old engineering stuff so he's got like the grid paper he's got like all the all his pencils like I don't know very engineer-like, right? So we are going to approach this very methodically, very linearly, have a, a clear start and, and destination. Okay, like engineers just think that they solve problems differently, right? Yes. Right. Analysts, are much more free spirited, I guess. <laughs> Is that a good good way to good way to position? Sure. Free spirited. We we like to look at the big picture, right? We have tools. We talk about structured analytical t- techniques. So there are methodologies to employ as you go through data. But if I will take ACH, right? Well, actually, we'll take link analysis. That's even cleaner from a union perspective. You take link analysis. I go where the data. Takes me. Yep. I don't go necessarily on the path that the tool is going to provide for me. Mm. So when we think about how to present data from a kind of an exploratory analytics perspective, from a pivoting perspective, some of the things that we're looking to tackle is like a lot of the people into entering the Intel practitioner today may come from an engineering background, or they predominantly supported like a engineering like security engineering, or their are SOC analysts who have not ever been actually formally trained as analysts. We call them analysts because they investigate things. but They're not really doing analysis. Yep. It's more kind of research to make a decision that this no is bad right. or this is not, right? So there's not been a whole lot of actual formal training on analysis. So w- one of the things that we are looking to take on is like how do we, kind of lower the bar- barrier to entry to like what analysis actually is. So even if you do come from an engineering background, like how do we change analysis to where it's more kind of outcome-based? I- if you look at King & Union today and you go in and you do enrichment based on your sources, it's what you would expect from like an I2 or Multigo today, right? Like we're going to tell you what your sources are. We're going to tell you like what endpoints are available. Where we see the kind of the space going is more along the lines of maybe specifying like what the desired outcome is. If it's a support to incident response, there's gonna be certain types of questions I'm gonna wanna ask of that data. Junior analysts may not know that, but those of us who have been in this space for what I say 20 years, two decades, we have some ideas, not to say that they're the only ideas, but how do we help and and take that experience and pass it down? And so help guiding people through that analysis based on what analysis should look like is definitely an opportunity that I'd like to see not only King & Union explore, Mm -hmm. but other Intel tools. Right. Like being very use case and outcome driven. Not necessarily like, do you know how to do X or do you know what X vendor provides? And Mm. like, no, I don't know all their offerings. I don't know what their API looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to answer a question. Just help me answer the question. (laughs) That's all analysis is, right? Yep, exactly. So trying to make that as simple as possible. No, yeah.
0: that's awesome. Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate the time. For folks that want to stay in touch with you yep. and stay in, f- in touch with the stuff that you're doing with your company, what are some ways that people can do that?
2: Yeah, so obviously kingandunion.com is probably the the lowest barrier of entry, using that phrase again, <laughs> uh, to find us. You can reach me personally at Doug at kingandunion.com. It doesn't get easier than that. Yeah. Um, or we're probably going to be at conference trade show, etc. For those in the D.C. area or visiting the D.C. area, King & Union actually tells people exactly where to find us. We're at the corner of King & Union in Old Town, Alexandria. Too easy. Yeah. Oh. Look for the Starbucks. We're right upstairs. so You're going to have a lot of people knocking at your door so yep. Please do. Come <laughs> see us. <laughs>
0: Collaboration. <laughs> Thanks again, Doug. Really appreciate it. And we'll see everybody next time.